is up. Internet death is coming for us all, kid. My name is Matthew Grohl. And I definitely don't eat whale. My name is Shahir Dowd. <laughs> this is the only podcast about movies. Specifically the film, Ship and Dale Rescue Agent. I can't do a chipmunk no, voice. what is that voice? Do that again. I don't it, know. I, 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 it does sound like a character. It, no, you know what it is? It, yeah. it was like I was trying to turn uh, some more news's Warmbo into a chipmunk. I don't know what uh, those uh, words are. You some just more said. news is a great uh, oh. YouTube series you should check out. And it's like, Warmbo says, we do this, silly goat. Like, that's no, kind of No, you sound like that... Elmo. You sound like Elmo. That's Elmo what is, is Warmbo is a parody of Elmo, really. Right. And so, you, you I, sound... can't, I can't do that. How do they, oh, man, how do people do that? Uh, how well, do people talk like chipmunks? There's a fascinating documentary about the, the guy who. Um, created Elmo, and then if I remember correctly, he uh, hopefully no defamation suit following this. Uh, there was something about him that came to light, and I, I don't know if he's still doing Elmo. If he, any any Sesame Street aficionados on the uh, who are listening, oh, in, I think I know. I'm not sure if that was a rumor or not because yeah. I heard about fifty fifty on that, so I'm not gonna dive uh, into yeah, that. Yeah, we pool. shouldn't. I I shouldn't. Uh, uh, um, defame anyone if, if that's the case. Uh, so apologies if I'm just misinterpreting. Good thing we're not talking about a Sesame Street movie, though. Right. Uh, we are talking about a reboot of a reboot of B-list Disney characters, hey. Chippendales Rescue Rangers. Have you? Did you watch uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers as a kid? I did. I yeah. did. Um, so did I. I think by the time it was because I, I, you know, it, what they say even in this movie it was what eighty. What when when did the show actually air? I was a it kid. Was 82 I don't know when they went to school. Yeah, I, um, I I watched it after school at some point, or maybe on a Saturday morning. I think is when Chip and Dale played. Like I don't. Yeah, I, Batman the animated series was on rotation because that played at four p.m. But I think Chip and Dale played on a Saturday morning. Uh, Chip me. and Dale, there were way more episodes of, and yeah. I remember it sort of like it was like a couple of hour blocks or something All like right. that of Rescue Rangers, and Listen. it was always very fun. <laughs> I I do remember. The um, the, I think Chippendale Rescue Rangers was the first time I realized like titles of TV shows could be parodies, like silly, f- like fake <laughs> things of things, well, like <laughs> like because they all had like and they, I forget what they are in, uh, particularly, but they are all like you know the case of the you know blah right, blah right. blah. And it's yeah. like a it's a it's a parody of like um you know a, another either TV show or a saying or or yeah. uh. Yeah, that was the first time as a kid I was like, oh, <laughs> I get that referential, it is what it's not supposed to be style of humor. Like, I get that it's a thing. Right. Um, for, that's for, the first time I could remember that happening. <laughs> I guess perhaps my realization was that uh, theme songs could be earworms. Uh, because mm. the DuckTales theme song uh, was one of the greatest uh, sing-alongs at my house. And then I, the Rescue Rangers wasn't as big a thing, but I did. I, I remember watching it. I, I remember like um, enjoying it for the most part. But DuckTales was definitely the more popular of the of the two. You know, like I, uh, especially the uh, DuckTales. Woo! Right. Every day we're out and making DuckTales. And then you know, if you're a teenage kid at that point, listen. By the way, just as a side note, listen to us reminisce about times when you had to watch television according to a schedule as dictated by a network, uh, as opposed to what people uh, people do now, which is that they watch at their own leisure an entire series. You know, like, I mean, the, the we are thing so is, old. <laughs> that's kind of though. To be fair, they are kind of going back on that a little bit, right? Like, yes, things are released and you can watch them when you want but the major shows now are releasing almost weekly well with like the drop of like the first two episodes when it releases 
to hook you and then it makes you wait a week. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about like the fact that my kid can, on his iPad, pull up any episode of Paw Patrol uh, at, you know, at his will uh, when he wants to, which is just not a convenience I had when I was a child. Um, and uh, by the way, he's getting, he's really into Teen Titans right now. Ah. Uh, so uh, Teen Titans Go. So he, is, you know, like, I will be amazed because we kind of like sometimes we do leave him to watch TV uh, unsupervised, you know, like with the iPad. And then I'll come back and it's like, Jesus Christ, he's got he's blown through seven series of these things. <laughs> and like, you know, like when we try to watch it together, he goes, he'll be like, oh, can we go back and watch this one? You know, and it's like season four, episode 32, <laughs> you know, and he's like very specific about it. Um, so well, anyway, I mean, we're all I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> he, uh, he he knows what he likes. <laughs> yeah. He definitely likes Teen Titans. His favorite character is Raven because she is the coolest. A um, uh, couple of emails this week to go through before we jump in. As always, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Matt, do you want to take the first one? Sure. This one comes from Stephen. Stephen. And he writes, just watched The Lost City but haven't seen the unbearable weight of massive talent. So I don't know how to pair them up despite being mostly just what you would expect. But there were moments in Lost City I genuinely laughed so hard I had a coughing fit. <laughs> I thank you, Stephen. I wanted to read that because I actually watched The Lost City this week with my wife because it was on Paramount Plus, and for some reason I have uh, not canceled that service. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's that's because... the one left over I can't do. Like I'm at, I'm at my max. <laughs> right. I'm at my HBO Max, and I can't go beyond it uh, to get one more streaming service. Uh, a show I work on is on Paramount Plus, so I use it just to kind of reference how things are turning out there. Um, but uh, I watched The Lost City this week. Uh, with my wife, and I and I actually watched it specifically because I mentioned it in our episode uh, about uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent, uh, as sort of feeling like a similar movie had come out just back to back on each other. I will say, The Lost City, uh, in my opinion, is a better movie in terms of um, uh, throwing, uh, you know, having sort of like a self-referential. Uh, adventure, uh, action adventure. Um, the Lost City is certainly more akin to like things like Romancing the Stone or in, even Indiana Jones and that sort of thing. But there is a, like you still watch it with a sense of like um, these are actors and a film that is referencing those kinds of movies, like paying homage to those kinds of movies and doing it in a way that kind of doesn't feel. That feels a little bit easy. Like, the thing I liked about those movies, and maybe this is nostalgia gloss, uh, you know, like Indiana Jones, uh, Romancing the Stone, um, was that they felt like they were hard to make. You know, like it looked like it was hard to make. And and I'm not saying that that The Lost City doesn't look like it was hard to make. I'm just saying there's such a... um, such a degree of technology involved in taking someone into the jungle that you sort of don't feel like... It was as challenging. I don't, you know, I don't know. At any I rate, hear what you're saying. You I pair those movies together. I equate it weirdly enough, though. Lost City, while it maybe this is a different, maybe this is a different uh, societal mm. film thing I'm bringing up, but Lost City specifically for me, and I have not seen it. Mm. Um, basically, how do I put this? It felt like a Netflix movie that wasn't cheap or a Netflix movie. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah in I my, hear what you're saying. In my brain, that's where I registered it at. Now, granted, that might not be um, exactly one-to-one ratio akin with what you were saying about the difficulty or sort of like the and, – and, and maybe it's not difficulty. Maybe it's just like – 
if something is hard and people still do it, you know they kind of love it. Yeah. 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 And like, and and so like, if you're trekking through the jungle to shoot a movie, you love that movie. Like trekking through the jungle sucks. Like everyone's getting paid, sure. Yeah. But like, whatever. It's a lot different than being on a set or with a green screen or stuff like that. Because when you're done, you can just not be in the jungle. Whereas if you're in the jungle, welcome to the jungle, knees, knees. Yeah. And you are going to be there for quite some time. I'll put it this way, like. Uh, in the Lost City, while I, I definitely don't want to say that they, there wasn't a lot of effort put into this movie, when you're watching the movie, you do get the sense, and this is me maybe from a production point of view, that the catering tent is just nearby. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, you, you, Put it on the box. Yeah. Put that on the box. <laughs> you're, you're you get the sense going, that the catering man. tent is right nearby. <laughs> yeah, you're not watching it going, man, they're off in some far off wilderness. You're sort of watching it going... Yeah, you know, like, they have the amenities nearby. And I, just to go into a side <laughs> tangent about this, um, the, the distinction between Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, um, I, I, yep. uh, from, from an internal uh, understanding how the production worked and what I'd heard about those, those things, is that, you know, and, and I don't besmirch the, the, the rationale for doing this, is that The Lord of the, you know, making the original trilogy was a mammoth undertaking with, like, move, you know, it was a huge crew, but they were, like, moving thousands of people at all times across the country, um, you know, like, with multiple crews, sometimes in jungles, sometimes in, like, caves, sometimes in green screen studios, sometimes in, like, uh, sets that they built. And so it was just, like, this massive undertaking. And from what I understand, when it came time to do The Hobbit, uh, after Peter Jackson had tried to get Guillermo del Toro to make that movie, and Guillermo del Toro and him kind of... Um, they, they went through separate ways, uh, mm-hmm. um, and Peter Jackson had to take it over. As far as I understand, there was just this decisions like, hey, we have all this technology so that we can do this a little bit more comfortably than we had done in the past. And so we're going to take that option. And I'm like, you know, after making three movie, three three-hour movies, I'm like, I get it, man. You know? Same, same. Yeah. But there is, and, and this is not a besmirch yeah. to, that, to that thing. It made a lot of people, had a lot of work. People yeah. like those movies. That's great. The interesting thing, though, is, and, and there has to be a word for this, and if not, we should invent one, or write us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if you, A, know this word, or B, want to be the person to coin it. Um, for films that, and I have no other better way of saying this, due to either the time they were made or due to the decisions of the team or however you want to put it, sort of did it the hard way and still hit a home run, mm. those are the films that seem like they stand the test of time. Uh, shout out to the Test of Time podcast, which we were just a guest on. Yeah. But like the um the but you know what I mean? Like yeah, you Lord see- of the Rings, we're gonna we're gonna be watching Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings in twenty years. New people, <laughs> new people will be watching Lord of the Rings in twenty years. And yeah. I have not seen the Amazon show because I don't believe it is out yet. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it will look as good. Heck, and and, and this isn't even like my nostalgia, this is just preference, and I understand that. Um, Lord, I mean, uh, Game of Thrones was a phenomenal looking show. Yeah. Phenomenal looking show. Yeah. Different art style and made it work. But like, I think if in 20 years you put Lord of the Rings next to Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones will look aged where Lord of the Rings will not. And I think, I don't know what the term is for that style of, like, it does seem to equate with, I hate that I'm quoting this, but just doing it live. Yeah, I'm going to call it the catering tent conundrum. (laughs) Oh, okay, the catering tent conundrum. Yeah, yeah, which is that making a film like that is challenging, very difficult. You do want the catering tent to be nearby. Um, You do want that space, but like, 
if you feel Side note, like, sometimes we're it, getting so, old. Yeah, we, we would want the catering tent nearby too. We, yeah. But our, that we're just saying there might be a reason why some things hold up and some. And just in some, won't. like you know, we talked about William Friedkin's movie, The uh, Sorcerer, uh, on the Taste of Time podcast. That's not a movie where I think the catering tent was easily accessible. You know what I mean? No, like, that catering tent was underwater. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's, it's just that sense that like you watch when you you feel like you're in danger. And Daniel Radcliffe, who's in The Lost City, was in another movie called Jungle, which I don't think a lot of people saw, where he gets lost in the jungle in the Amazon. And I think that was a movie that felt like they really went there and did that. I also, you know, like Swiss Army Man with- I was just about to say Swiss Swiss Army Army Man Man. felt like they were in the jungle. Yeah, and they really did that. Anyway, anyway, Lost City is out. Uh, The thing I like about The Lost City uh, is Channing Tatum leans so hard into a himbo role, you know, like pure himbo, and it's like it's delightful. It is, it's like it's it's just fun to watch. National uh, treasure, Channing Tatum. Uh, uh, you got one more email before we dive into these tiny chipmunks. Yes, uh, a little follow up from uh, our episode on Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. Uh, Jacob wrote in, in the, the multiverse of madness. Does it matter? Uh, I think. <laughs> Jacob writes in I watched and very much enjoyed WandaVision I couldn't remember it. oh okay uh, actually let me pause there for a second this might be some slight spoilers is it safe to say Matt who the villain of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness yes, is yes. It, it's safe to say that now yes okay well, I kind of I, I decree it. You can send your your uh, <laughs> your praises or besmirchments of my decree to the email. Okay. And be fine. I watched and very much enjoy WandaVision. I couldn't remember exactly how it ended as I started uh, to watch the last Doctor Strange film, but I knew that the character's choices didn't jive with where she left off, presumably in WandaVision. However, I completely agree with Shahir. There you go. Her thematic journey was the only thing in this film that emotionally resonated with me, even when I knew it cheapened her character's TV journey. Jasmine and Matt sold me uh, a bit that you could extrapolate an interesting arc for Doctor Strange's character in this film, but I still didn't think it just, it didn't just, it, sorry. But I still think it didn't It didn't read. Maybe the framework structure of such a progression was present, but I didn't feel at all in the moment of what I saw. I want to like Marvel movies more. I think when they're good, the lore and spectacle they layer on on top of well-executed and emotionally resonant film can create something truly special. But I also worry that they really change what people are asking from films. After Doctor Strange, I heard yet again what I would call a reflexive Marvel clapping, a splattering of applause that rings hollow. The movie gave some folks in the theater what they expected, larger-than-life characters fighting otherworldly perils with high-production visuals. It didn't give them what they needed, that feeling of catharsis and surprise and excitement. Thankfully, most of the audience did not partake in this clapping. They weren't upset. They just were not overcome. They didn't expect more, but I think they deserve it. That's from Jacob. Beautiful email there. Beautiful. Thank you, Jacob. Um, I guess two two things on that. Um, one, uh, the I think where the connective tissue for me with Marvel has been slipping ever so slightly. Again, I really I enjoyed talking about Doctor Strange a lot. I was kind of angry when I saw it, and you can listen to the episode and hear all that. Um, but there was a Reddit thread I actually came across this morning. And it was about, like, um, basically what one Reddit user's favorite scene in the entire MCU was. And it was the after-party scene in Age of Ultron. Okay. When they're all sitting around and just hanging out and drinking and trying to lift Thor's hammer and being just people. Yeah. And then I started looking back at sort of what my favorite uh, MCU movies sort of were and why I think that is. And a lot of them have scenes or connective tissue 
in them, including, to be perfectly honest, uh, a lot of Endgame, mm-hmm. uh, but also Guardians and, and a few others, when there are moments when you have the team-up movies mm. and it's just them hanging out, doing something else, having moments of, like, what again, character growth and not punching each other in front of a green screen, that... I think there's a ratio there that, mm. like, you need, like, sitting around and bullshitting uh, in a fun way that is not just plot exposition. It's character ex- exploration. Mm-hmm. And then that earns the moments of spectacle. Case in point, I think I was less mad at Shang-Chi's, you know, big kaiju CGI battle at the end. Mm. Because, honestly, him and Katie uh, in the in their role throughout the movie felt like they were actually living lives. They felt like characters. Yeah. And so when you finally get to that, it's fine. In Doctor Strange, so much is happening. And I get, uh, Jacob, I get the thing. Like, I, I, and I know Jasmine did as well, really gleaned on to, to Steven's sort of story and journey. But, like, there's so much going on and there's not a ton of breathing room. Like, the, there's... The moment where you start caring is ripped away from you very quickly when he's at the wedding and you're kind of like, oh, fuck, and then giant octopus thing. Like, yeah. there, like there's never enough time, I think, in a lot of the – particularly the Phase 4 films. Well, no, that, you know what? That's not true. I take that back. But when they don't give that breathing room, yeah. uh, I think that is where uh, the, the caring sort of can fade away and rightfully so. Second thing, the clapping – I've – this is a personal take. I don't care if people clap at stuff. Mm. I, I like it's it's the same thing. Like I know people that get like upset when people clap when the plane lands. Who gives a shit? Like, it, and I'm not gonna judge what they're clapping is. Like mm. maybe they did really like it. Maybe it is hollow. Whatever. It's a it's a thing that's making people feel hopefully a little more connected to each other in a world that is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not. I'm not trying to poo poo on your on your observation. I imagine it probably played out exactly like that. But I I personally, when it's discussing clapping at things that. Don't don't normally get claps or if the clapping is deserved or like whatever at this point in my life i'm just like look man people maybe people aren't having the most fun but they're trying to have fun so let's <laughs> let's go <laughs> we gotta keep hanging on to that uh i would uh <laughs> love to see clapping in other movies that don't that don't uh that wouldn't ordinarily warrant a clap uh like uh, ariasta's hereditary which i just rewatched this week or the witch or something like that <laughs> like people applauding <laughs> when the witch although <laughs> i see i could honestly picture when she gets like uh, uh spoiler for the witch i wouldn't even say what it is but at the end <laughs> I could see people clapping. Like that feels like a moment where I'd be like, I would have a standing ovation in that particular <laughs> moment for that character. Well, uh, hereditary, not so sure. Cannes uh, is on right uh, this week, and um, well, the Cannes Film Festival is on uh, right now. And there was a roundtable discussion with a few producers, including one Guillermo del Toro, uh, about uh, the future of cinema. And uh, there was this uh, quote from Ted Hope, who's a well-regarded producer, um, uh, and he was quoting Guillermo del Toro. Uh, There are two pieces of language that have entered the lexicon around five or six years ago that are horrible. Content and pipeline, which are uh, used to describe oil, water, or sewage. Whatever it is, they don't describe art and cinema because they talk about an impermanence, something that we just flush through and has to keep moving. And in my world, a beautiful work of audiovisual storytelling should hold its place next to a novel or painting. Um, and to De Toro, Del Toro goes on to talk about uh, where he thinks there is a, um, a move towards impermanence. And, and I think, you know, in the last movies that we, uh, you know, when we're talking about the unbearable weight, um, uh, weight of massive talent and the lost, the lost city, I think there is that sort of 
that sense, you know, like you're saying as well with Lord of the Rings, a sense of impermanence about them where we, it's almost like we watch and swipe as opposed to, um, sure, you know, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's my job, Shahir. <laughs> like, I literally, when, and I've started doing this, and I don't even like mm. it. Like, I am a content creator. Mm. I am not a producer, which I am. <laughs> I am not a, a showrunner, which I am, or a narrator, which I am. If, if someone asks me what I do, and I say I'm on YouTube, and they're like, oh, you're a content creator. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and, 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 and that's not to say that the things that I work on I don't think are important or should last, et cetera. But I also understand the game. Yeah. And, like, if we don't release a video on a timeline weekly or, you know, or whatever, you get flushed down the drain through the pipeline. So uh, the algorithmic pipeline. So, yeah, it sucks. And it, you burn out, and it's hard. Um but it is definitely not a way to to consistently uh, craft uh, art, if that makes sense. Like, I'm lucky. Don't get me wrong. I think I, I love our episodes and everyone on our team works super hard. Um, but, the, you know, there's definitely you, you can't make you can't make high art, beautiful, meaningful things all the day, all day, every day, because then if everything is nothing is. Like, do you get? Does that sort of make sense? Oh yeah. Like, I, I hope it wasn't uh, uh, besmirching the work you do. Uh, it is not. No, no, no. I, I don't like the term, and I don't particularly love the workflow, even though I love the work. Does that right. make sense? Like, yeah. Like, I, and I, I, yeah. I only wanted to relate it to Guillermo del Toro in terms of talking about um, the impermanence of films. That like there are films that we. Like, I feel like we're getting to a stage where we watch and forget immediately um, and have, you know, and they're not seemingly not designed to. But there were always movies like that. There were, you know, like um, this is not a new phenomenon or as well. It's just there's more of it now. Yeah. Like it's it, because there's more media being made now. Exactly. <laughs> there is hope, um, I think, in in films like um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a thing that's going to have a lot of a long tail and a lot of legs for years. Yeah. I think people who have not seen, like, that's a movie that I can totally see every six months, the right group of people finding it, blowing it up on social media and, like, having it just keep ground swelling a little bit, like yeah. a, a and, skipping and I, stone. And I also like that it, it it is not, that movie in particular doesn't lend itself to being, um... Uh, converted into intellectual property that can be perpetuated further. Like it doesn't yep. feel like there's no one asking for a sequel to that movie or or continuing that narrative. It is a one and done, and it's great. Um, yep. uh, in, in the same vein, we will get to Chippendale, by the way. Uh, in the same vein, um, uh, James Gray, the director of Ad Astra, uh, was asked this week um, about uh, the importance of art house cinema, and I think he he. He did a really interesting take about like the value of art cinema uh, in a studio slate because it 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 alters and this relates to Jacob's email as well. It alters what we ask of movies versus what we get of movies. Um, and you know, I think he was sort of convert making that conversation about um, the way in which certain movies stay in the public lexicon for years to come, and then there's a lot of movies that are being produced in the slate right now which you will not remember in a week's time. Um, and but I, I he he made this quote and I thought of you instantly because I was like it kind of laid down the challenge because he was like he was like you know I could talk about making an offer you can't refuse and he was like and everyone in this room will know what movie I'm talking about he says but you couldn't quote me one line from Aquaman and and I was like and I was like I bet you Matt could could I quote a quote from Aquaman oh have I have I misjudged uh. this. <laughs> 
So Aquaman wasn't my jam. I mean, I could quote almost a quote from almost every Marvel movie, I think. Right. Um, but I, I don't know if I could quote Aquaman. Um, His point being is that it wasn't wasn't a direct dig at Aquaman. Uh, obviously, he you know he, he's a prolific filmmaker who knows a lot of people, and I think he was just sort of making the point that there are movies that stand that will that create permanence in our lives and constant reflexivity, and then there are movies that we watch and swipe. It's also okay. I might say this. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge it from a side perspective. Mm. It also could have to do with when you see the media. Yep, yep. There'll be a now, generation of uh, children right now. Well, generation of film goers for whom that Aquaman, know the quote Aquaman. Yeah, and this is this is why I think I I'm going in that direction. Yeah. When you said quote Aquaman, I couldn't think of a film from the J, uh, a quote from the Jason Momoa film. I couldn't do that. You know Does what he my say, brain? Hey, I'm Aquaman at some point. Yeah, hey, I'm Aquaman. <laughs> uh, no, I, th- my brain instantly went to an old, I think, or, or late '90s, early 2000s sketch on the best uh, sketch comedy show ever created, The State, mm-hmm. where the Justice League was in like they're like they were in the Hall of Justice, and all of them were standing there, like you know, whatever the sketch comedy troupe, just superheroes, and they're like. Uh, Batman, you go talk to the commissioner and see what we can know about the Joker's plan. <laughs> Superman, uh, Superman says, I'm going to go stop the missiles that have already been launched. Aquaman, you go talk to some fish. And then they all just laugh for like 20 seconds. Yeah. And like that's the sketch. Yeah. And that's my memory of Aquaman. And the point is not that that's genius <laughs> comedy writing. My point is that is a piece of media that is essentially throwaway. Right. That has become such a part of me because of when I saw it and when, like, where my proclivities lied and where I was in my life. So, so. if that can happen, <laughs> yeah. yeah, possibly and- Jason Momoa's quotes can too. <laughs> was his Justice League quote was "Yeah, yeah"? <laughs> was that right? Like he t pained through through the final battle. He was like, "Yeah." And he yeah. says "woo." He says "woo." He goes "woo." <laughs> Uh, that's that's the Aquaman quote. All right, we should jump over to Chippendale because that's what the people came here to see is us dressed as Chippendales, not the Chippendale, but you know, like the men, the sweaty, oily men. Well, okay. First and foremost, we are both sweaty, oily men, but we are in no way should ever try to dress like a Chippendales dancer. Let's let's be hundred percent clear there. Um, what an oddity. <laughs> this film is how it's it, for me anyway. I didn't really know much about this movie. It came kind of out of nowhere, and then I just heard whispers and inklings that it was quite good. Right. Um. And I, I was like, okay, I'm I'm familiar with these characters now. Again, when when going into it, I was like, oh, it's like a Hollywood story of them like breaking up, like and then like they have to get back together and kind of like they're, they're actors who play themselves on Rescue Rangers and like yeah whatever like that didn't really excite me, mm-hmm. um, but I gotta say, you know, watching it, it's this this feels like way more than it should actually. I mm. think uh, the spiritual successor to Roger Rabbit. Yep, <laughs> um, and it's strange how again. Pers- from from my perspective perception or or place it seems like it came out of nowhere but apparently this is a film that had been in kind of production hell for a little bit and then changed a few times mm. uh apparently uh, this they were going to do a reboot of it a la Alvin and the Chipmunks so they'd mm-hmm. been working on it for a bit and then things changed and it kind of got sidelined and then i forget how the lonely island guys and um Akiva Schaefer. Uh, oh, yeah, Akiva Shaver got got involved, and uh, and then it turned into this 
beautifully fucked up PG cacophony. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it, it, this movie confuses the hell out of me, and not the plot or anything that happens, but just how it exists and why it exists. And I'm not angry at either of those things. In fact, I enjoyed watching this movie, I'll tell you right now. But, like... I don't know. We're going to get into some weird questions once we sort of get through this. But, uh, you know. Uh, so, so, so tell uh, us what it's about. Oh, well, the IMDb page says that Chippendale Rescue Rangers is about, and I quote, 30 years after their popular television show ended, Chipmunks Chip and Dale live very different lives. When a cast member from the original series mysteriously disappears, the pair must reunite to save their friend. Aw, look at these Pretty little good. Cute, but, but Pretty good. Pretty good. Cute little guys. Um. Yeah, like I said, I had seen this. Uh, I, I had watched Rescue Rangers as a kid, but not you know had no, um, uh, no nostalgia pangs for this show uh, whatsoever. And I will preface this up front: I've had a really, really rough week, so I watched this <laughs> in parts. And my most uh, ridiculous moment as a human being this week was that I was in the middle of like projects, and I had to take my son to the playground just to like get him out of the house for a little bit. And I was like worried that I hadn't quite finished the movie so i was i was watching it in like piecemeal so apologies off the front if you think that discredits my opinion you are 100 percent correct uh if but- you <laughs> what, oh you you watched this like an like an adult with the streaming service how dare you yeah and but my most ridiculous moment was i was at the playground with my son who was playing who had ma- made a friend and was playing and then so i was like oh this is an opportunity to keep 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 going with the movie so I can catch up with this. So I'm sitting at the playground watching Chippendale Rescue Rangers on my iPhone, wandering around the park trying to keep an eye on my son at the same time. And I <laughs> like it, that that's silly in itself because the adults are supposed to be like hanging out having adult conversations and stuff and I'm sitting there watching a cartoon. And sure. and then I like I I'm walking and I slam my head like <laughs> full full speed into a metal pole like as i'm like looking down at my phone to the and point then animated I, birds came out oh my and- it was literally that moment the animated i <laughs> i hit so hard and i was like oh my god i am at a playground about to be concussed on the ground because i was watching chippendale risky rangers on my phone as it was intended um while my son plays uh, in a park so i i wow. felt like the most ridiculous human being that has ever uh, uh lived a life that's commitment <laughs> that is commitment i was trying to watch it uh at any rate i i think uh we have talked about um a couple of movies that I hadn't recognized the pattern of this movie until I watched Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Um, but it is this idea of essentially the, like, the, the the most popularized term for this right now is the multiverse. The multiverse of IP management in cartoons and as mm-hmm. they interrelate with human beings. Um, obviously, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is at the, the top of this totem pole and has been there for a long time. Um, but, you know, uh, they were sort of uh, really interesting in that the way in the way that they would meld these unknown characters that were entirely fictionalized with real characters that that uh, had uh, existed in this world. Um, and you know what was I think maybe what's made that movie stand the test of time was all, not just Robert Zemeckis's uh, inventiveness with the technology, but also in the way in which that movie is 
is a pretty great riff on Chinatown um, and, you know, is a pretty great noir film. On this show, we have done films like this. Um, for example, Rick at Ralph, um, uh, Detective Pikachu and Space Jam. And I think in all all of those movies, um, there is this sense that there is um, uh, a, a sense of like owning a lot of intellectual property that you can throw in sometimes uh, irreverently in order to show that hey we've got these characters and we're going to have fun we're going to poke fun at them a la the Lego Batman movie or uh, sometimes they are hey we've got all these characters check out what we can do uh, a la the Space Jam movie the the, the new legacy um, and what we I, were all clamoring to see the clockwork orange guys watch yeah. a basketball game <laughs> um, what I liked about Chip, I, I think for me there, there is a you know a clear pattern emerging, which is that the effect that this film has is in many ways the same effect as when multiple Spider-Men turn up in uh, No Way Home, which is that hey, we've got these characters, um, let's see what we can do with them, kind of thing. And like there are moments like that in this in this movie, um, particularly when they're um, I think in the back half wandering through a fan con, and. Um, what I like about it, what I like about Akiva uh, Schaefer and the Lonely Island team is that, kind of like Phil Lord and Chris Miller in many ways, who did the Lego, or who produced the Lego Batman movie and the Lego movie, which also had that similar sort of like throw in as much IP as we can get. Um, they do it with a, with a kind of knowing wink to the camera that this is kind of ridiculous and, and it is about enjoying the fact that we have these characters and making and poking fun at them. What I also like about this particular film, um, is that it becomes in one way, um, a sort of treatise on the way in which, um, character, the, the development of animation techniques over time. And I like that part of it. You know, like one of the main running gags here is that Dale has taken on uh, the 3D, the 3D surgery. So he the is CGI now, surgery, the CGI basically surgery. riffing yeah. on like plastic surgery for aging stars. He's yeah. now instead of being animated, <laughs> hand animated, he is now a CGI character. Which, which I really, uh, I really like. I like that they go into the uncanny valley where it's like characters who don't look at each other. Uh, yeah, it's an actual into, place. Yeah, walk into wills. There's a there's a reference. The to Polar cats. Express era. Yeah, the Polar Express era. There's a reference to cats in this movie as well. And then there is this sort of like odd um riff which i know movie bob uh has made a sort of uh statement about in terms of being like the idea that missing with disney's intellectual property is akin to human trafficking yeah uh, i actually have his quote from that I, it was so fucking it was so true and weird yeah uh messing with our copyrights is analogous to human trafficking yeah. air quotes movie bob shout out to movie bob check out his stuff um, um and, and which i is, I, yeah, because in this the plot, just so you know what we're talking about, in case you didn't watch it, is the 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 characters, uh, like washed up characters, are being kidnapped yeah. to have uh, experimental surgery and be forced to make bootleg movies when they're just enough off where the IP won't be taken from them. Like like yeah. so like there's like. Uh, magical fish girl instead of the little mermaid yeah. <laughs> or like woman who loves dog man instead of beauty and the beast or whatever like and there was a there was a simpsons riff at one point where uh bart says oi or rumba or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> like they they run through the set of uh, again much like roger rabbit yeah it's not cartoon animated it's animated characters on a set that is made to look like a cartoon and they're filming it so there's a chase sequence 
Yeah. Um, and they run through the sets of all of these bootlegs being made. Uh, and that was a Simpsons one on the, in the driveway with the car. <laughs> and I think uh, Will Arnett, who, again, has such a great voice for animation. Um, you know, uh, obviously he is Lego Batman. Um, uh, Bojack. Yeah, and Bojack Horseman. He comes, he pops in here as the villain, which uh, is the discarded animated character from the original Peter Pan movie, which also, I think, reflects- Sweet Pete. Yeah, which reflects now. So he's gotten older because, uh, and like he, he went through puberty and he, it reflects this idea that he is being discarded because of his, his lack of value to the Disney to the Disney brand. And therefore he has gone off to make this sort of empire building on bootleg animations where he's kidnapping other tunes. Um, but this is also a riff on what actually happened to that to the to the young actor that played that character, uh, which was kind of a controversial deal at the time. Um, so it, there, there's a sort of murkiness to this. And again, in, in, uh, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, again, I'm holding that up as a high watermark and I should revisit it because it, maybe it doesn't hold up today or something like that. But, but there is a sort of sense of terror that came with, like a sense of genuine horror that came with that film, um, about the idea that tunes were being dipped to be removed uh if, if anyone remembers uh, who framed roger rabbit um in here it's it's like a fun gag and there is a self-knowingness about it that makes it like easy and watch and and again for they me, take something horrible and they 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 sanitize it enough for a pg audience and again i'm I, i'm not saying that in a in a bad way but they're literally taking forced surgery on <laughs> sentient characters yeah to change their appearance and ability and then forcing them to work. Yeah. Like that that's dark as fuck, but it's like, oh wait, they took Goofy they took Goofy's nose. Ha ha ha. Or like yeah. whatever. Like that's like there's a weird thing there. And if you think about it, the more you think about it, the more uncomfortable you get. I, uh, I think yeah. I think but what again for me, and maybe I'm in the right team demographic here, is that uh uh Akiva Schaefer knows like there that the fact that Chippendales is the vehicle for this is kind of what makes this work, which is that they're not, uh, the, the people, there are fans of these characters, but they're not beloved in a way. And I think what what makes it work is that there isn't the reverence for these characters unto themselves. There is this sort of like, we like these characters, we like them a lot, and we want to have fun with them. But we don't have to like worship at the altar of these characters and like hold strictly to canon what these characters are. Um, and I think that's what really, really works about this. Um, and I, you know, I think um, uh, uh, Kiva, uh, Schaefer has got like such a great eye for action in these sorts of films. Uh, if if you haven't watched um, the unauthorized bio, uh, uh, Bash biopic uh, that he made um, it, with a, with another director, I, I forget the other director's name. Actually, I'll, I'll pull it up because this other director of that film was is is an amazing music video director that I've uh, referenced a few times. Um, uh, I just think he's got such a good handle on this and there's like such a great sense of like how to pitch this movie in the right way um, that it kind of works uh, despite like you say being a little bit dark a little bit a little bit awkward it's uh, a lot a bit dark yeah. I couldn't believe and again kudos to them and I think this is how rating systems should work but like the fact that this is PG mm. is nuts to me it kind of shows the Again, this is not me saying I find anything inappropriate in this movie for a young child. What my thing is, is how much they are able to load subconsciously into this movie for adults. Mm. Like, and like the reason this is not rated PG-13 is they don't think kids will understand it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, 
it's an odd it's an odd duck that I am impressed with its with its needle threading, if that and makes I, sense. And I think the oddity of it is what will make it uh, last in the public consciousness because it's like taking a run at this kind of material with uh, a sense of risk. You know, like there is a like and, and in the hands of a filmmaker uh, or a filmmaking team that didn't really understand how to pitch that risk, uh, I think it would not work. Um, well, I want to go back to Space Jam, New yeah. Legacy. Yeah, that's that a film movie that didn't work. work. Yeah. And there's a, I think the reason for that is it's sort of like as you're talking about like these films like as IP management, right? Mm. But the, you can do it. And but like winking and nodding that you're doing it is not enough. Mm. You need to you need to sort of uh, subconsciously, I think, in in whatever story your film is telling, you need to also show that the people are that are making it aren't doing it because like, ooh, this is the the hot thing or this is the thing people want now is like references or whatever. You're doing it because you and your team still have a childlike wonder of playing with fucking action figures. Like, do you remember back in the day, like when you used to play with action figures, you didn't just play with like the Ninja Turtles with the Ninja Turtles. Mm. Like you had your whole trough of things with, you know, G.I. Joe's and, and, or like, you know, um, Megaforce or like any of that shit that like none of those things went together, but you played with them together. Yeah. And, and I think what they do here is there's a sense of love with that play, even though the joke is, look at all these things we can use. This is excitement at a toy box, not necessity because we opened all these toys. Yeah. Like that, and, and I think that's what sets this movie apart and lets it get away with sort of doing all of that like IP management up front and center. Yeah, and I mean, the IP management part of it isn't... Like, I think in the case of Space Jam, it feels like the IP runs the movie, whereas in this case, it feels like the creative runs the movie and they yeah. have access to IP. You know, like yeah. that, that's the, the distinction that actually makes this work in uh, in this way. But I think, you know, like, and I think the, the sort of, there is a, what's nicely uh, uh, threaded through here is this idea of a partnership that was formed many years ago, uh, a sort of semi-betrayal of that partnership. And, you know, like the, the egos at play are just two very different egos, Chip and Dale, um, John Mulaney, and... Um, uh, uh, oh, the other lonely island guy, the famous, the, the famous one, Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg. And this is uh, what what I like about this is this is the same material that they essentially played with in Popstar. This yeah. is essentially yep. the same narrative material that they same played. exact thing, the same exact thing, and it worked in Popstar. It works here. I think there is a reflection in the reality of like the way the Lonely Island see themselves and the way in which they work, where they understand what this does and they work through that material through the work that they do. And I think it's I, you know, like there's an honesty to it that makes it actually land really well. And I think Dale is played not just for last, but for someone who is like. Uh, tired of being in uh, left out of the spotlight or being t- seen in one way, so he wants to forge his own direction. And Chip is resentful of that, but then realizes that he needs Dale just as much as Chip needs him. Uh, uh, you know, so as much as Chip needs Dale, and as much as Dale needs Chip, and they're, they're, they, there's a mutual simpatico to the way in which they work by the end of the movie. And you know, I, I think um, that coupled with like a sort of clear understanding that the Rescue Rangers idea was like a goofy idea to begin with, but kind of formed its own universe that people liked. Um, 
And and what again, what I really like about that is that people could be irreverent with it. And the other point at which we saw this, again, a John Mulaney voiced character is Spider-Ham in Into the Spider-Verse. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that is the like that's a character that pops up in that movie with a kind of fun irreverence for like this is Spy- this is the Spider-Man universe. He is part of the Spider-Man universe, but also how ridiculous is this? You know what yeah. I mean? So I kind of I I I think that's where it works. There is there is obviously like you say kind of a tightrope here which is that you can go too far into the self-wink um where it 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 actually loses its substance entirely. And then you can go too far the other way, which is the Space Jam sort of thing, where it's like, what is it that we're, you know, like, am I watching just a brand commercial for like two hours here? Like, what is it that I'm actually sort of engaging with? Um, So it's a really finely threaded needle. And and one for me, I think kind of works. And I'm like, you know, again, I watched it in like three different sittings on a phone, (laughs) on on a projector, (laughs) on a monitor, hitting my head, hitting the birds. Um, and I, you know, I was like, yeah, I think this actually works. By the way, the direct, the other direct co-director of the unauthorized Bash bio, uh, biography was Mike Diva, uh, who was a fantastic music video director. You should uh, um, check out a lot of his work. The, the, uh, one of my favorite moments that I was not expecting, and I actually wanted to pick your brain about this year from a from a side commentary perspective because I think it it plays slightly into what you do for a living or mm-hmm. what your company does. Um. So in the film, Dale is is at a fan convention and right. like he's trying to trick the thing. I loved him like filming himself for his social media like before uh, you know, a big stage opening, and then it turns out it's not him. It's like Baloo yeah. who's singing Bare Necessities, like <laughs> yeah. like you know. Because I've been to enough fan conventions. This is exactly what it kind of is. Yeah. Um, and uh, across the way from Dale's booth is, is Ugly Sonic. Ugly Sonic. The reference being uh, the original uh, animated design for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie with the terrifying human teeth. And yeah. like it just looks like a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> That's why and I love just, this movie is kind of like a riff on animation. Yeah. like so. So – and to me – I took that as sort of a frown upside down kind of moment because he could becomes an actual character. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, you want me to go fast? No, nah, that's Sonic's deal. <laughs> Ugly yeah. Sonic goes slow. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was like, it was so perfect. Yeah. And and a great way again turning the frown upside down. So my question to you, Shahir, was and this is a bit of an extrapolation. Yeah. But how do you think the team, the original team behind that design of Sonic feel about it now? Because the truth is, again, hmm. like, if you design something, even, <laughs> like, and maybe you didn't, this is hard because, I, you know, who told you to design it how, right? Yeah. Like, but, like, if you design something and it became such a butt of a joke that now it comes back and it is now being used in, I, and I, in the most loving way a mockery could be used. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, did, how would you square that from a work? I, I think there, uh, and again, you're right, it's an extrapolation because I'm not in the exact position that they were in. No, I'm trying to think you, of analogous ways. You're, yeah, yeah. you're closer to CGI than I am. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of analogous ways that it has happened uh, to us or the way we've kind of worked on projects. I, I, when you said that, I immediately thought of this quote, which I've, I've quoted on the show, um, before, which was that something a, a producer told me when I was directing a commercial, uh, which was that um, if the project is a success, it's a team effort, and if the project is a failure, it's your fault. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 I think w- which which I actually as a director I really I 
I have to believe in it because it's about responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, you know, correctly identifying your team and then taking responsibility when things don't work. That's what being a director, being a captain, being a leader um, kind of means. Um, but in the case of Sonic, I think what, which, which in the sort of spectrum of how that character ended up in a trailer, you, while we can point the finger at designers and in that case i would say it's a team of designers but yeah. i would say the thing about that is that we have to acknowledge that it is both a brief that would have come through from both the director and the studio and the producing team to be like this is how we the direction we want to see sonic and that brief would have had to be met by artists who were working on to 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 meet that brief and then that brief that their designs would be approved and that's how it ended up in the trailer so approved while, by sega yeah, yeah, approved by Sega, approved by a lot of people. So it's not like those things were like what we have to really like just be aware of is it's not one person who made that choice and then that choice ended up on screen. There's a there's a degree of people. However, there is probably one or two people at the top of that chain that who thought that that, that championed it and thought that that was going to that was going to work. <laughs> um, unfortunately, but what's why I think um, the people involved in making that uh, are happy is that Sonic. The, the Sonic um, uh, redesign is one of the great success stories of, of um, IP management um, in the public, in, that happened in the public sphere, which is that that character, you know, that, that character design was introduced in a trailer, was wildly rejected by the, the movie-going public. Um, you can kind of see how this is going to play out right now with the, uh, the She-Hulk character, by the way. Um, it was wildly rejected and then completely redesigned to look more like the original game character. And the movie went on to be a success. Now, that redesign was probably at a hefty cost. Like a, I was going to say, there was yeah. an insane amount of crunch and a yeah. lot of people were, I would even, I would even burned use the out, word, abu- yeah. were burned out and abused at yeah, the yeah. jobs. In order to get, that, to get that done. But the end result was that that movie, the, the, the actual final look was a success but they and, made more profit for the shareholders so that's yeah. really all that matters at the end of the day and so what i'm saying what i'm saying is i would i'm i'm only speculating here i'm sure the people involved that actually designed the teeth or the the hair <laughs> or the fur or the eyes and that sort of thing are, are are probably you know want to say hey this is what we were told to do because you know we are not at the pay grade where we make those decisions, we are, to, you know, we kind of iterate and design mm-hmm. according to the brief that we're provided. And we try to, you know, help contextualize what our client wants and then provide some of the work, uh, you know, provide some of our own input into that. Um, but now that the film has gone on to be a success, I think uh, if it was me, uh, I would be delighted by the way in which the Lonely Island team, Akiva Schaefer, the way in which this movie acknowledges that and has fun with it because the idea here is we're having fun with it we're not like being yeah. mean about it we're not being you know like you know we're saying yeah it's a, it's a it's a really silly thing those teeth were terrifying but you know like it happened and now there's this character and we kind of love this character like he's this goofy character and you know like um i i, and I the went thing on... is his next show is going to be he's like trailing like a cop like steven seagal or whatever yeah, yeah like, he's going to be part of the fbi and he's part of the fbi he, like he's yeah. a real character it's not a throwaway in this film which i which i yeah. like so i think i think if it was me uh i would be really uh uh chuffed by the idea that this thing that was previously a disaster gets you know reconciled in some way much in the same way i think you felt about um 
um, uh, Andrew Garfield's The Amazing Spider-Man in No Way Home, which is that like you know a much yeah. maligned character that you know gets some redemption in in that film. Um, I think if it's done with love and it's done with like a yeah man, you know, like with a hand on your shoulder, kind of like we sure. get it, but we can you know let's have some fun with it. I think that's uh, where it works. I hate to pull us away from Rescue Rangers, but I have one more follow up question because okay. I'm curious about what you and, and and at home too. Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail Do we think? <laughs> That what happened this is a two part question. What happened with Sonic the Hedgehog, right, mm-hmm. is good for the overall uh, cinematic scene of that movie space, aka fans seeing a trailer raging at it until a group of people have to change it on a whim and at much detriment to a team, and then it becomes a financial success and we can all enjoy it. Is that worth it? Should there be other mm-hmm. things in place? Follow up side question. Mm. Do we think that Sonic would have been as successful <laughs> if that kerfuffle had not put that movie into the limelight for like about a month? Hmm. Because Sonic the Hedgehog is a popular character. Like people know of him, yeah. but like th- the stories and the things about like following Sonic were never terribly mainstream. Mm-hmm. And. I I don't think that movie would have been as much of a financial success if that thing if that whole story had not put Sonic front and center. What do you hmm. think, Sheer? Do you think I, I think there is no you know, like measuring the success of any movie is like nigh impossible um because there's so many different factors. Like for example, in I'm the just Sonic talking about case, reach and money. I'm yeah, honestly Well in I the mean, Sonic case, I would say there like to me the other the other really successful thing there was Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik because that was playing yep. right into Jim Carrey's strengths, you know, like, it, and it was like a, a, ver- a version of Jim Carrey that we hadn't seen in a while. And I think it plays right into his strengths. I think Ben Schwartz doing the voice was really perfect as well. Um, so would it have been less, I, I think we would probably be have more, have more conversations on it, but then this is ongoing IP as well. So uh, it probably would have been redesigned at some point. Um, right. I, right. I, I I'm not you know like it's it's hard to make to to figure out exactly what the what the secret ingredient in the in the sauce was there, um, but you know uh, I also see what you're saying which is that it is occasionally you know audiences dictating the terms of what they want is not always the best thing because artists and filmmakers can give you what part of what their job is is to give you something unexpected. And surprise you, and change and change your perception of what you think this is. Yeah. And if the audiences only want nostalgia, kind of like coming back to Jacob's um, email, if the audience only wants one thing, then that becomes the the diet that they're fed upon. I, I don't think that's a balanced diet. So I, I you know, I, I'm, but but this is IP that works like like nobody, nobody. There, there is no situation in which anyone gives a shit. Or emails in about the design of the witch in the witch, right? Like, there's nobody who cares about that. Um, well, I think cares is the wrong word. No one's questioning it. Yeah, because it is an original property as well. But, but like, you know, I can imagine uh, th- there is this like ongoing conversation like this that happens when um, 
when the inevitably the He-Man movie uh, comes out, which is going to be directed oh, by fuck, the people, I'm dread, I'm dreading that day. <laughs> the, which is going to be directed by the Lost City, the the directors of the Lost City movie. Um, is that who has it now? Yeah, it's it's been tossed around a little bit. Um, you know, the She-Hulk thing. Um, you know, people are looking at the design of that, and 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 everyone has it. Everyone's got notes. Like as a designer and as a person who works in this, like you're always <laughs> part part of the main job is notes management and like dealing with the fact that like. The people that pay you haven't, you know, may not have the best taste, but sometimes have the the best instinct about uh, what's going to work and what the project is as well. And like, you've got to balance that out because sometimes you're like, well, I know a lot about design, color, art history, um, how this would work from a storytelling point of view, but they have this from, you know, but they're the ones also paying the bills who have a better sense of like, well, this is actually what we need the project to you know, function to be and, and, and sometimes, you know, like I'm wrong sometimes, sometimes they're wrong. It's like a, it's a big back and forth that happens and it's a negotiation and sometimes you lose and sometimes you win on it. You know, the, the She-Hulk thing is very interesting and I, we will wrap up with Chippendale, I promise, but now we're just on animation because it was such a yeah. kind of touch point, even in this movie. Um, the She-Hulk thing to me feels so dumb. <laughs> like the 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 I, I don't go on Reddit threads or Twitter threads really anymore that deal with like uh, political discourse because I just get too angry and too sort of rageful and I don't have anything that I will say that is a constructive thing because I'm not educated enough in certain spaces and I don't feel like I should be yammering about stuff I don't understand. Um, the so I was like so I go look at movie stuff or like you know lighter stuff but all that shit is just the same amount of vitriol about less important stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so when when I'm looking at the She-Hulk thing, and again, I don't know. I mean, she here knows way more about this than I know and because I've never dealt in CGI of that scale. But but I've dealt in production and I understand how to work with people doing a team of a team of people that I am working with building something that I don't understand to put into a project I do understand. I get that. And to listen to armchair fucking designers or I don't even know what to call them criticize the She-Hulk trailer and why this is this and why this is that and like positing all this shit. I'm just like, and then people getting mad about the <laughs> the one person's opinion versus the other when no one understands what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, is, yeah, I, look, maybe you didn't like it. Maybe this is an uncanny valley. Cool, but like, you're not fixing it, bro. <laughs> like, it's weird. Well, I, I just, I, I just want to point this out as well is that the people that make these things are also fans. So they, the. It, Everyone has an opinion. Like everyone has opinion. Everyone has notes. Um, and so, like, like there's a running gag in this movie about the uncanny valley. And the thing about it is that is, you know, the the, the sort of um, work that went into designing CGI characters at that early stage um, was really difficult, really challenging. And there's a lot that came out of what those early designs did like i think one of the biggest ones would be uh the implementation of subsurface scattering which is a way in which mm -hmm. lighting systems uh, uh run underneath surfaces so how they how lighting systems scatter and that was one of the big things that allowed compositors uh to create uh, or or cg artists to create um characters that actually felt like they were interacting with real light um yep. there's lots of little little touches to this that lead to the development we're we're 
inching closer and closer towards um, better art being produced. But I think in the in the Terminator 2 episode, you asked me this question about like why is it the subsequent Terminator movies don't look as good as the the T one thousand as, as, in as the T one thousand. By the way, there's a great uh, I I I'm remembering that because the the there's an entire battle sequence in uh, Chippendale which is a direct riff on the T one thousand battle um, yeah. uh, from T- Terminator two. But it's like um, uh, there's a group uh, called Corridor Digital. If you ha- if you don't know, follow them on YouTube. They're CGI artists who um, who talk who talk and break down CG every week. Um, and uh, a great um, visual effects supervisor uh, by the name of Todd Vazari, who's on YouTube on Twitter as well. Um, you know, worked on a lot of big movies that you would have seen: Avatar, uh, Star Wars, all, all that stuff. And you know, he's like, it's an art form. It, it re- like it's not it's a while technology is the backbone of that art form it is an art form and it requires you know sometimes the it's not about having the most power because arguably artists today have have exponentially more power more visual acuity can render something in in much higher detail and frame rates than ever considered possible in your iphone can make you look like you're on fire right now like to the point where it's pretty damn realistic yeah it's great and but the the what differentiates it is the art for one like the artist actually understanding it and what makes the artist or the art work is the storytelling and in in the case of chip and dale rescue rangers is that those characters are navigating that art world so we're not actually sitting there like dissecting what the Sonic character looks like. We're not dissecting like what the um, the bear from J- the Jungle Book looks like. We're taking it under the context of which the story is providing it to us, which is that it, this character is different from this character because of this of, because of these things. So the storytelling is actually helping us guide us through that. And I think to me that's why Terminator Two looks better. Is because we we the storytelling is priming us to, to to enjoy it more or to to appreciate it more, and the artistry behind it is working in con- in conjunction with it that storytelling. To me, it is like it's the most nebulous thing, but it's storytelling is the thing that makes art work. It might go back. <laughs> wow, let's go full circle. It might go back to what I was saying. I was missing in some of the recent Marvel films. Right. Yeah. It's it's, the, it's you need to earn the spectacle. You need to earn caring about the spectacle. Exactly. I, I think uh, I, I said once that the best special effect in Jurassic Park was Sam Neill not being able to put his glasses on uh, while uh, while staring <laughs> yeah. at a at a brontosaurus or something like that. It's like that reaction shot primes us to appreciate the beauty of the CGI we're about to see. You know what I mean? Like it it tells us the, how to like appreciate what we're about to see. And if that CGI doesn't hold up today, that moment will. How not excited are you for the next Jurassic World movie? I have not kept up with the franchise at all. I, I saw the one that we did on the podcast, and then I have not seen any. Fallen of the Kingdom. I watched on a plane, so the air, the air, the lack of air pressure, I think, mm. made me enjoy it a little more than I normally would have. But like, I can't remember a damn thing in it. <laughs> um, man, and the posters for the new Jurassic World movie are trash. They did um, Laura Dern dirty. Really? <laughs> like Laura Dern is uh, a very attractive human being and they like tried to de-age her which uh. it, it, like it, and it just you want to talk uncanny valley all uh. of them look a little bit rough well, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's meant to be like 30 years since the original movie right like, like people no 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 mm-hmm. I'm, in, in, in the actual film i don't think they did it 
I, I'm saying in the poster. Oh. I'm just like, just let her Man, for exist. Laura Dern as well. Yeah, I mean, like, did you like see Laura, the yeah, marriage like, story? Yeah, let's, <laughs> you know? let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah, um, yeah uh, it, it, I, anyway, I can't, I'm so... It might, it might be fun for me to, like, uh, walk into the next Jurassic uh, Park movie completely like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You're going to be on a plane relatively soon, right? Yeah. Watch watch Fallen Kingdom on a plane. If it's there, I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> I, I really... Uh, we we take so many sidetracks now, but like, uh, I hate watching movies on the screen that's provided on the plane. I always just bring my own screen because I'm, I'm such a pretentious douche. <laughs> <laughs> but I like loading up my own movies and watching my, you know, like, so I, load it up. Yeah, so maybe I'll load it up onto my onto my MacBook and, and see how I go. <laughs> anyway, we Sound should like we should wrap we should wrap this up. It's been my fault too that we've been tangenting so hard. Chippendale Rescue Rangers, pretty fucking good movie that came out of nowhere. Yeah, um, a lot of fun. My, my, my only, and this isn't a complaint, it's still just sort of a question, and I think we might have answered it uh, on this thing, is like, I found myself asking, who is this movie for? Right. Uh, because, like, kids aren't gonna, don't love these characters, and yeah, it's cute, but like, they don't, they're not gonna get the references, they're not gonna see, like, Butthead for Governor or whatever, and be like, haha, or like, Ways the movie, like, that's not for them. Hmm. But also, the way the plot goes, and what the characters are doing... I don't think is terribly for children, but yet it's not for a... Well, actually, no. This is the cool part. This is how I'll wrap it up. I think in the end it is for adults, but it proved something very important to me, and that is that adult content does not have to be gratuitous or graphic. Hmm. Like, we've gotten to a point, I think, where it's like, ooh, the gritty reboot, and yeah. it's like, cool. Like, oh, good, there's violence, and they say the F word a bunch, and like don't deal with anything and that's rated r but, but like and and for adults that's supposed to be adult sort of things right this movie deals with a pretty a few heavy adult issues mm -hmm. while also not languishing in sort of um the spectacle of violence or gratuity mm -hmm. and i i appreciate that there is a film that sort of recognizes I guess exactly who it's for and knows that it's not topics can be adult and this is coming this is how I'll end it topics can be adult but you don't have to exploit them to make it seem like it's more important or air quotes adult than you need to do honestly I think the work we do on extra history in particular if we, we, we always say we deal with PG-13 topics but we don't like mm. we, we don't sugarcoat we don't get hyper gratuitous like because even though like you know Case in point, wars are terrible. We talk about a lot of stuff about wars, but also our stuff is 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 clean enough, or or I don't even know, like um, presented in a way where both children and adults can enjoy it and not get caught up in any sort of like spectacle thing. I think Chippendale actually does that <laughs> quite a bit. You, um, you, that's well, my like, final stuff. You, you sent me down a side tangent about something I've been thinking about this week in relation to something awful that has happened, and to the point where I think me bringing this up would be. Um, inappropriate in this moment because we're, we're, we're talking about something completely different. Um, but uh, it has to do with, uh, you know, gun violence that's been happening in the, in the United States recently and, and some thoughts I have about that. Yeah. But I think inversely to what you're saying is that children's entertainment doesn't need to be sanitized to the point where it means nothing. Yep. And, and what I like about the idea of this film is that it will be a discovery for someone to grow with. Which mm -hmm. is that, like, you know, like the Goonies were for us, 
uh, a movie where it's like a ch- you know has the veneer of a children's movie, but is really quite a dark movie about the nature of greed and you know uh, how it can uh, destroy you. Uh, I it's a movie that you can grow with, and and I think I like the idea that kids could watch this and kind of grow up with it. Uh, in terms of like watching it over and taking something different from it as they get older, um, so I I really like that idea, um, and you know I I think um, it really it just uh, to me it really comes down to again good storytelling and also good a good understanding of where the audience is for this. And so when you ask that question like who is this movie for, um, my response would be like I think it, it's for an audience. You know like. Like like you say, if you cater the movie to people who like Chippendale, Rescue Rangers, it becomes one thing. If you if you do the movie this way, it becomes something bigger than that. Yeah. And and that's where I think it you know like again coming back to Into the Spider Verse, who's that movie for? Like, do you have to be a Spider Man fan to enjoy it? No, you don't. Like that's that's what's beautiful about. And if you if you made that catered only to people who like Spider Man, it becomes a limited thing. But if you make that bigger than that, if if the audience for that is actually bigger than that, it becomes so much more. Uh, and that's what yeah. I love about that, and that's what I think really works here. You're right. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Shahir, when uh, you are not slipping through the cracks, where can <laughs> folks find you? You can find me getting some CGI surgery to get rid of my, uh, my love handles on my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt. When you are uh, being, oh, when you are not being animated into a cartoon version of yourself for Extra History, where can people find you? Oh, boy. Uh, that hit too close to home at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Um, also, please check out the good works we're doing over on Extra Credits. We are wrapping up Tulip Mania at this point. It's super fun. And we just did, uh, oh, uh, I think... By the time this drops, uh, our Oedipus uh, episode will be out, and I'm very <laughs> excited about that. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of good stuff in that one. That and uh, if you are a Nebula subscriber, uh, I did a cla- I did a talk nice. for their Nebula classes. Yeah. Um, about uh, how to be ready for your dream job, and they shot it, and it looks it looks gorgeous. Uh, so if you are a Nebula subscriber, I, I was so impressed with it because it was not me. Uh, I mean, I, I hope I said something that was gleading and 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 helpful, but like the team really made something uh, truly special over there. Um, oh yeah, and if I mean you can if you want, I'll I'll shill. Why not? You can go to if you want to sign up. Uh, uh, it just uh, I think it's just uh, watchnebula.com slash extra credits. I think is the the way. Oh to do nice. That. Um, um, what was? But dream- yeah, I was super proud of it. My my dream job is to become a Chippendales dancer. Um, and uh, I am uh, I'm getting ready for it, man. I'm I'm just I'm not working out. I'm just oiling myself up a lot. I'm getting hey. comfortable wearing um, wearing uh, a G string is what I'm doing. I'm just I'm just getting com- I'm, I'm not saying it's comfortable for anyone watching it or, or who comes to pay, but I'm just saying I'm sure. getting comfortable with it. That's that's well, how I'm getting I mean, with my it, dream job. Well, it, the important thing I think is for you to be comfortable. Yeah, especially with this uh, piece of string up my butt. Anyway. (laughs) All right, we will talk at you next week. I believe we're going to go higher, further, faster, baby. Um, Is that what the the phrase is? I I thought it was. No, that's uh, Captain Marvel. uh, She was in the Air Force, although they're in the Navy. We're we're talking about Top Gun Maverick. I'm going to ride your tail so hard in that movie. 
So no one ever says ride their tail in <laughs> Top Gun. Really? They they say you can be my wingman. I'm pretty and then, sure no, you can be you on can my be tail. Mine. Uh, well, let's let's go back. Maybe I'll revisit Top Gun before we go. Uh, before we go into the the danger zone. The danger zone. <laughs> right into the danger zone. Shit, that's my Chippendale song. That's what I'm going to come out. That's what I'm going to walk out of. <laughs> See, I knew that tangent was important. We'll yeah. talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.